They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. Hello and welcome to the Juan Juan Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, consider signing up for the Patreon. There you get ad-free content, early access, exclusive episodes, and monthly supporter hangouts. You can find it at patreon.com slash the Juan on Juan podcast. If you don't like the subscription-based models, there are other ways of supporting the show that are linked in the description. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Juan on Juan podcast with your host, Juan Ayala. episode of the Juan Juan podcast. I'm your host as always. Please make sure to follow the show on social media at the Juan Juan podcast everywhere. TJOJP.com. And as of recently, I've been getting pinged for certain episodes that have been out for quite some time on YouTube. And I'm not trying to risk, I don't have a huge following but I have worked my off for the followers that I do have, and I'm very appreciative of all of them. So I will more than likely only be posting things that I deem YouTubeable on that platform at least, but you can get everything else on the Patreon, patreon.com slash the one-on-one podcast or rockfin.com slash the one-on-one podcast. You know where all the links are. They're in the description. Make sure to check that out. And... Here we are. I'm going at it solo today because I usually write out these presentations and I, I'll go on other shows and I'll present them there, but I usually don't have enough time to finish the presentation. And by the time that presentation comes out, I have uncovered other things about the topic because the whole 
thing in this research community, or at least for me, is I'm always reading, I'm always looking new information up, and any particular topic that I cover, it doesn't necessarily go away. It'll stay there in the back of my mind, and that mind palace, wherever it is, stocked away. Whenever I find something that I stumble across while doing research on another topic, because usually that's how that works, these topics will cross streams, if you will, with one another. And of course, you have like the homunculus and how this relates to the homunculus, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm always adding to these presentations, either mentally or I did a PowerPoint or an actual presentation for this one on Canva. And I went on another show and I, and I talked about it, but I didn't get to finish. So I wanted to do a solo episode on my channel and actually get through the entire thing. And this episode was inspired by Walter Bosley's work, Latitude 33. Now, the idea that Disney of all companies would tap into some energetic line that is this metaphysical thing that the world, the earth, presents and only the people in the know can tap into that. I mean, the people in the know would be them. And by them, I mean the elites. And by the elites, I mean the lizard people. And look at how powerful this company is. I mean, it's been in business for a very long time. And a lot of people say, well, Disney was a mason. Technically, he wasn't. He was a demolay when he was a kid. But his brother, the one that actually put forth the Florida Disney World, was a Freemason. Now, not all Freemasons are bad. I'm not saying that they're all, there's some sinister agenda. But I do believe that at the top levels of this society, it is ruled by people in secret societies. I do believe that there are groups in charge behind the scenes I just don't believe that they're the ones that everybody points out. So the Freemasons are probably there, but I don't think they're the main guys. If you know their name, probably a player in the game, but they're not the main guys. It's the guys that you don't know their names that are in the background that you should truly worry about if they're even from this existence. If they are outside of this existence, that's a whole other thing. But Disney, they def- most definitely are alchemist at least they i always like the example of the paint the go away green where they've quite literally developed a paint that your eye your brain skips over it's designed for that it's designed for you to look over and they they'll paint maintenance buildings like this they'll paint light posts entrances you're not supposed to go through They'll paint it with this color and your brain just kind of sort of skips over that. And I've talked about the Hans Purple before and how that color escapes this dimension. Well, the idea that you can use color to entrap somebody's essence, their soul, their consciousness is not out of, out of the realm of possibility. If this color that was made over 2000 years ago has not been replicated by modern day scientists, I mean, they were way ahead of their time, essentially. They're way ahead. 
And Hans Purple quite literally escapes this dimension when cooled to a certain temperature. You can look into it. I've done a whole thing on that before. The idea that Walter Bonsley puts out that they would put this carousel on top of this point where these lines intersect with one another as this node. We know ley lines are an actual thing. I believe, and I've been trying to get a hold of this research paper that links cartography to magic. And I'll probably do, be doing a solo one of these for maps and how maps were had a more esoteric and occulted meaning back then, uh, significance. And there's a reason why people would hang up maps of certain areas on their walls. But the idea that the longitude and latitude system could be a sort of talismanic grid that was put over the world, we know that John D and Mercator were very tight. And John D was at the forefront, really, of cartography. And he was helping a lot of these main guys that were making these great leaps in cartography and map making. And we know Mercator wrote to John D about the 33-mile-long island on the North Pole, the Black Rock, the magnetic Black Rock at the North Pole that supposedly was housing these little minions or little dwarves or something or other mythological creatures. And there was this vortex at the center of it. I believe, and I'm again working to compile the evidence and the research that the grid that we know today is quite literally magical in nature and it's charged. Now, if you take that concept and you extrapolate it, just know that the elites have this knowledge of the occult and of magic. You don't think that they would utilize that in their workings whenever they build cities or whenever they are going to do something ceremonial magic the setting is important and i believe that numbers it all goes back to numbers these latitude longitude coordinate system you go back to the cartesian coordinate system that served i believe as a form and as a medium of manifestation for the platonic solids which can also serve as a vehicle for consciousness. They were obsessed with turning their ideas into these geometric figures. But as a kid, I'd always been into the strange, supernatural, conspiratorial aspect of everything. And one of the first conspiracies I ever got into was the Bermuda Triangle. And I always wondered what happened to Flight 19. I remember reading books about the Bermuda Triangle as a kid, and it touches on two places I live. I've lived, Florida and Puerto Rico. And I always wondered if it was a portal to another dimension. What was going on out there? Because you always heard these crazy stories. And I've covered before, and I'll post a link in the description, the Ivan Sanderson's 12 Vile Vortices or the 12 Devil's Triangles. And I'll link that to what we're talking about today because I do believe it relates to sacred geometry. As a kid, I also wondered why the pyramids were built and what they were built for. And we can't deny the fact that the ancients had very advanced knowledge about the actual nature of reality and how to tap into other occult forces through the use of ancient technology. 
And one of these technologies is geomancy. We know that part of the alchemical process is aligning things in a certain pattern to unlock this hidden dimension, this occulted dimension. That's why a lot of these ancient sites are laid out the way that they're laid out. You look at a motherboard and you look at these ancient cities and there's a resemblance. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's done by design and technology that how Jay Widener said on my show one time, they want to take alchemy and they want to turn it into what we consider technology, which is your phone or your computer. They want to make it into a micro of the macro. So you, they break it down in order for you to be, be able to use it as a sort of scrying mirror, pretty much is what our phones are. You can tap into other dimensions. I can enter the World Wide Web, www666. Wow. I don't know if that's by coincidence or not, but that's part of Kabbalah, encoding things, assigning numerical values to things in order to unlock other potentials. When you're tapping into the portal to log into a website, you're essentially tapping into another dimension, another place. When you look into your phone, you literally have access to the Akashic Records. You have access to all the information you could ever possibly want. And every second that passes by, we have more information than we ever did since the beginning of time. And it seems that society is getting dumber by the second, unfortunately. Some people choose to just be led and turn a blind eye instead of doing their own research. But that's besides the point. Geomancy is a method of divination that interprets markings on the ground or the patterns formed by tossed handfuls of soil, rocks, or sand. At one time, one of the most popular forms of divination throughout Africa and Europe, especially throughout the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. Although in Renaissance magic, geomancy was considered as one of the seven forbidden arts. And the word geomancy comes from Latin Greek. Geomancia translates to foresight by earth. And Arabic translates to the science of the sand. Another definition, and the one that I want to focus on, is the art of placing or arranging buildings or other sites auspiciously. Falconelli talked about how if you were able to arrange things in a certain geometric pattern, pure elements or pure substances, you're quite literally able to unlock the secrets of nuclear power. And that's exactly how it went. We're going to be covering that on the Shadow Band Syndicate, so check that out. That episode will be out before this one. Feng Shui, my wife always says I have a, an organized mess in my room, but I know where everything is, and my workspace is a certain way. And I feel that it, when disrupted, whenever I podcast from another area, I'm, I'm always thrown off because of the feng shui. And this is Chinese geomancy. It's an ancient Chinese traditional practice that claims to use energy forces to harmonize individuals with their surrounding environment. The term feng shui means wind water from ancient times. Landscapes and bodies of water were thought to direct the flow of the universal key or chi, cosmic current or energy, through places and structures. More broadly, feng shui includes astronomical, astrological, architectural, cosmological, geographical, and 
topographical dimensions. I believe this is why Tesla used water ducts under his tower. It was modeled after the pyramids, which also have water underneath them. Florida has water underneath it. The water table is very high here. A lot of cathedrals and ancient sites have water flowing underneath them. And I believe that's done on purpose because, again, back to the idea that these elites know about this knowledge and they tap into it. They use it. They use it to their benefit, even if you don't believe it, because a lot of people say, well, I don't believe in the occult. That's fine. You don't have to. Your soul believes in it and they believe in it. And therefore, they're able to have some sort of control over you. Sympathetic magic, which is the equivalent to quantum physics, if you will. Vitruvius that talked about how certain rooms are used for certain things and the layout of certain rooms cannot be used for certain activities. So you can't live in your living room or you can't use it as your bed. You can't use it as your kitchen because the energies that are meant to be in certain rooms need to be contained and they need to be built in a certain architectural form for the energy to flow efficiently through there. For a while, I hadn't touched architecture, but my research led me to architecture. The research of the occult magic led me to the architecture. And we have Fulcanelli and the mystery of the cathedrals and all that goodness. But yeah, I'll do a whole episode on that and a whole breakdown because I do have a presentation on that. Environmental psychology explores the relationship between humans and the external world. The way in which the natural environment and our built environments shape us as individuals emphasizes how humans change the environment and how the environment changes humans' experiences and behaviors. We know this. If you grow up in a certain area, it changes the way you are. Some people grow up in certain areas that changes their accent and all these things. It literally changes you, your biology and deep down. We know this has an effect deeply on humans psychogeography and it's the exploration of urban environments that emphasizes interpersonal connections to places and arbitrary routes in 1955 guy de board defined psychogeography as the study of the precise laws and specific effects of the geographical environment consciously organized or not on the emotions and behaviors of individuals key tactic for exploring psychogeography is the loosely defined urban walking practice known as derive. DeBoer defines the derive as a mode of experimental behavior linked to the conditions of urban society, a technique of rapid passage through varied ambiences, an unplanned journey through a landscape, usually urban, in which participants drop their everyday relations and let themselves be drawn by the attractions of the terrain and the encounters they find there. Almost like a sort of synchromystically charged journey that you go on and you just let wherever the wind takes you right as however the saying goes that's essentially what it is psychogeography now toponymy toponomics toponomastics is the study of toponyms proper names of places also known as the place names and geographic names including their origins, meanings, usage, and types. So we know that, going back to Kabbalah, words have 
power. That's why they call it spelling. Grammar comes from grimoire. So we're going to we're going to go there. The etymology of grammar before I get too ahead of myself, because this is one of the things I do. I write these presentations, but then I go ahead away ahead of myself and I go on all these tangents. So the etymology of grammar, late 14th century, and I've said this before, Latin grammar, rules of Latin form from old French grammaire, grammar, learning, especially Latin and philology. Also magic, incantation, spells, mumbo jumbo. Also means systematic account of the rules and usage of language. Grammary is grammar, also learning, erudition, hence magic enchantment. Late 15th century, a variant of grammar, perhaps from Old French grammaire, grammar, also book of conjuring or magic. The idea that the word grammar quite literally comes from what means a book of spells makes you wonder. So be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you say. Yeah, that's why I'm very careful what I say, what I put out there, because I do believe that words have power. I do believe that back then it was like Harry Potter, where they would speak things into existence and manifest things that much quicker. You have mystical toponymy. And mystical toponymy, how I mentioned before, words have power. As we build along, if you take powerful words and you name a place that you've built along this powerful line, whatever latitude, if it is the 33rd or not, and this presentation actually started on the enigma of the 33rd parallel, but it kind of went and I changed it up and it went somewhere else. But you take a powerful name and you take a place that you built on a powerful area of energy, you're stacking those effects one on top of the other. Mystical toponymy pertains to the magic and mystery of words intersecting with the Masonic science of symbolism. While it differs from the old straight track rediscovered by Watkins in the early part of this century in which alignments or ley lines were discovered to sweep through power sites of ancient religious uses, no one ha has thus documented any political or sorcerous uses. In considering my data, it would be helpful to consider a dictum of Einsteinian physics, a science few would accuse of fanaticism or irrationality. Time relations among events are assumed to be first constituted by specific physical relations obtaining between them. My study of place names imbued with sorcerous significance necessarily includes lines of latitude and longitude and the division of degrees in geography and cartography, minutes and seconds. Mystical toponymy and alchemical Kent language are part of a process which hinges on a marriage between action and time or recorded history and physical locations on earth regarded as places of power by the cryptocracy's magical geographic visions of the earth as a giant chessboard symbolized by the tessellated floor of Solomon's temple and the Masonic Lodge and Alice's vision of the world in Lewis Carroll's Wonderland fantasy. So the first thing I read was Downard and the second was Hoffman. 
and we know they were contemporaries or some people say the same person, but <laughs> that's it's not part of this episode. So the Mundus Imaginalis is in a, an intermediate world position between the sensory world and the intellectual world. However, this does not mean that it exists independently of the sensory world and the intellectual world. What exists are simply two processes, the dematerializing of that which can be perceived and the figuralizing of that which is intellectual. The exposure of the hidden reality in two types of data, sensory data that must be transmuted to occult the apparent and intellectual data that must be revealed to manifest that which is hidden is none other than archetypal imagination. Now, the reason I put this in here is because focus on sensory and intellectual. Now, Hoffman calls it the earth as a giant chessboard, symbolized by the tessellated floor of Solomon's temple. In chess, you need to know how to play. So the intellectual, what moves to make, how to overtake your opponent, how to checkmate them, the intellectual, you need to know where to move, how to move, and then also the sensory, because if you don't move the pieces, you're not able to play the game. So you need to know how the chess pieces move. This is alchemy. Manipulating physical matter in order to invoke a higher change in reality itself. Now, I did a, an article on occult, the esoteric chess, the occulted meanings of it, in the Occultus Mundi journal. You can find that on my website, the com or tjojp.com. You can follow the link on there to my Ko-Fi store, ko hyphen fi.com slash tjojp you can get your copy on there and i'll i post occult and esoteric subjects in that journal with pictures and all that good stuff but this idea of again back to geomancy lining things up auspiciously where you take this certain thing and you align it in a certain format now let's let's go back and revise what we've talked about we've talked about how geography affects people's psyche. Words have power. There are lines along the world that have energy that you're able to tap into. Now, if you take all of that and you put it all together, and as long as you have the intellectual know-how and the sensory data of where to put everything, you're able to unlock this occulted power, this other dimension, if you will, by putting all these things together. You take a powerful name. You name a place along a powerful place or area or conjunction or node of these ley lines or telluric currents. You stack all that up and then you use time on top of that to do certain things like King Kill 33 and being able to harness certain energies from ceremonial magic. Rituals. That's what ceremonial magic is all about. You do something today and every year. Or every Sunday you get you go somewhere and you do the same thing over and over and over again. And that energy just keeps on coming back and coming back and compounding and compounding over and over until it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
Angela Voss regards scrying as a method for accessing the mundus imaginalis, a term coined by Henry Corbin. The mundus imaginalis refers not to a fictional world generated by the consciousness, but to an autonomous world that gushes forth involuntarily in a manner that involves the driver of imagination itself. Fundamentally speaking, scrying commonly constitutes a virtual experience consisting of observations based on the use of a crystal ball as a screen rather than an immersive experience. As noted in these records, however, Kelly sometimes obtained his visions by stepping away from the three-dimensional screen of his crystal ball and using the entire room as a stage in a manner that saw him make a complete break from the world of perceptions. In fact, Kelly's visions truly represented a real world of experience informed not just by sight and hearing, but also by touch. Now, John D. and Edward Kelly, one of my favorite subjects. I wanted to put that in there because the idea that he was able to step away from this medium that they were using to scrying to other dimensions, the aethers, which is, we're going to do a whole other episode on that too. The aethers, but not only that, but the way the room was set up, the furniture that they were using, the symbols that they were using, the clothing that they were using all played a part into their seances that they were able to see these other dimensions and see these other entities on the other side. Abracadabra, a magic word historically used as an incantation on amulets and common today in stage magic. First known occurrence is in the second century works of Serenus Samonicus. Say that five times fast and you might summon something. Serenus Samonicus. That guy's name was probably some sort of talisman as well. And was actually used as a cure for fever. Several folk etymologies are associated with the word from phrases in Hebrew that mean I will create as I speak or Aramaic. I create like the word. So speaking things into existence. Add it to the entire thing that we've been talking about. Geography, geographical points on a map. Name it after something. Bada bing, bada boom. You have something cooking up that is very powerful ley line straight alignments drawn between various historic structures and prominent landmarks developed in early 20th century europe with ley line believers arguing that these alignments were recognized by ancient societies that deliberately erected structures along them also called earth energies the idea of lay lays as straight tracks across the landscape was put forward by the English antiquarian Alfred Watkins in the 1920s in his book, The Old Straight Track. He argued that straight lines could be drawn between various historic structures and that these represented trade routes created by ancient British societies. So I don't believe he was wrong. I, I believe he was onto something. But you got to remember when somebody's onto something, that goes against the mainstream. It's going to be labeled pseudoscience or pseudo-archaeology or whatever it is because you can't teach an old dog new tricks. People are always going to be locked in their ways. And I, if, if one thing I've learned from podcasting is that 
whenever you put out an idea or a concept, somebody uh, somebody that's listening is going to have the exact complete opposite of whatever your idea was or is, and they're going to voice their opinion on it. So same thing goes with history. Something happened, well, I'm sure other people remember it happening another way. History, we know can't be trusted. We know the people that write it are the winners, and things have been occulted before. So Telluric Currents, a.k.a. Earth Currents, they are electric currents which move underground or through the sea. Telluric Currents result from both natural causes and human activity. And the discrete currents interact in a complex pattern. These currents are extremely low frequency and travel over large areas at or near the surface of the earth. In fiction, fiction serves a purpose since fiction isn't constrained to the to reality. It's boundless. It's limitless. I believe there's more truth in fiction than there is in actual reality. Stories touch on a much deeper level than what some people will say they do or in fiction main plot of the 1988 novel Cults Pendulum by Umberto Eco and hopefully I'm saying that right revolves around conspiracy theorists who believe they are searching for the umbilicus mundi the navel of the world the mystic center of the earth which is supposed to be a certain point from check this where a person could control the energies and shapes of the earth, thus reforming it at will. Sounds like what? Like alchemy. Yeah, that's right. In the view of conspiratorialists, monuments like the Eiffel Tower within the story, the Eiffel Tower are nothing more than giant antennas related to these energies. Yikes. Sounds like what happened to... Nikola Tesla was trying to tap into certain energies in our atmosphere. And when he's like, I want to give this to the people, JP Morgan was like, nope. Right? Because JP Morgan is a lizard person or was a lizard person. Probably still alive somewhere. Who knows? Point being that this fictional story really hits on exactly what I wanted to refer to in real life. The truth is stranger than fiction. Next is the 33rd parallel enigma. And I'm going to be naming a whole bunch of different places or incidences that happened on the 33rd parallel. The 33rd parallel isn't the only one. It's the one that people usually refer to. Because a lot of weird things have happened along this line. The city of Tyre. Home of Iram of Tyre and Iram Abif, and that relates to the Masonic legend. I'm saying all Freemasons are bad, but again, the connection is there. Mount Hermon and its connection to religious, its religious affiliation to different stories was the location of the first nuclear explosion on July 16th, 1945. At the Trinity site and Trinity was the code name of the first detonation. So again, naming these things after other things. 
is a very powerful because remember letters have power words have power so you name something a certain thing in order to invoke that energy in a talismanic way and link it to that thing whatever it may be the atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki they're not on the 33rd but they straddle the 33rd so they're on either side of the 33rd and under the 33rd president Harry S. Truman which allegedly was a Freemason, and the S, he had added, the conspiracy goes that he added it, after he had become a Freemason, and it stood for Solomon. So we have that connection there. There's also the location of the Roswell incident in 1947. The location of Disneyland Park, the happiest place on Earth in 1955. The assassination of JFK happened very near the 33rd, but not exactly at it. That's one thing I've always heard people say, but when you actually look it up, it's not exactly on the 33rd. But one thing I did see was November 22nd, 1963, 11 plus 22, you get 33. Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy at the Ambassador Hotel in L.A. in 1968. Phoenix Lights in 1997 in Arizona. Afghanistan traverses is traversed by the 33rd parallel. And we know what happened there. War from 2001. Mesopotamia is close to the 33rd. And that's where allegedly Babylon was located, which contained the Tower of Babel and what today is modern day Iraq. If you want to follow that cosmology or not, but just something to keep in mind because all these things do play a role, even if you believe in it or not, how I mentioned at the beginning. So the location of Baghdad, we have the Iraq war of 2003, as well as Saddam Hussein's palace that's located at exactly 3333. He was also executed on the 33rd parallel at Camp Justice in Iraq in 2006, Hussein's family members and some of his associates were also executed there. Quite a bit of his family was actually executed on the 33rd parallel. Now, that plays into the King Kill 33, where if you do certain things on these lines, you charge them. The majority of states that are crossed over by the 33rd parallel have the death row. So the idea being that Death charges these lines. Blood charges these lines. Sacrifices charge these lines. I always get this wrong. Abu Ghraib? Garab? It's the prison. In 2003, during the early stages of the Iraq War, the U.S. Army and the CIA committed a series of human rights violations and war crimes against the detainees in Abu Ghraib. I believe that's how you say it. The space shuttle Columbia disaster was near the 33rd parallel. The U.S. military searches for debris from the spy, Chinese spy balloon off Myrtle Beach. Mm, the 33rd. That's what people need to understand. The Super Bowl or the Superb Owl was also on the 33rd parallel. When people are celebrating that they shot this thing down, the, the Chinese balloon... That was the 
the ritual, bro. That was it. They're burning the sigil. Part of chaos magic is destroying the sigil and forgetting about it because people are so hyper-focused on what they're being fed by the social media that as soon as they destroy that, they move on to the next thing. And they completely forget about everything else and it goes into the subconscious and we know what they use the subconscious for. So same thing with the Super Bowl. Where attention goes, energy flows. Everybody's paying attention there. They're charging that or charging the line or using it for something because energy cannot be created nor destroyed. It can only be transformed. Take that for what you will. And why 33? Out of all the numbers in the, in the world of numerology, the master number is 33. And it's said to be one of the most spiritually inclined numbers. And it is also known as the master teacher along with 11 and 22. There are 33 degrees in Scottish Rite Freemasonry. It's also the atomic number of arsenic. According to the Newtonian scale, the temperature at which water boils, the number of vertebrae you have on the average human spine, the number of deities in Vedic religion is 33. The second level of heaven in Buddhism is named, I can't say that name, but it's the meaning of the 33 gods, the number of incantations, the Bodhisattva is said to embody, the divine Elohim appear 33 times in the story of creation in the opening chapters of Genesis, and it goes on and on. Jesus' traditional age, when he was crucified and resurrected, the Islamic prayer beads are generally arranged in sets of 33. Pope John Paul I, the 33-day Pope, one of the shortest reigns in papal history. And it resulted in the most recent three-pope year of the temple, home of the supreme 33-degree ancient and accepted Scottish Rite Freemasonry in Washington, D.C. has 33 outer columns, which are each 33 feet high. The Rupus Nigra, a phantom island, was described as having a circumference of 33 French miles and... Dante's Inferno, his Divine Comedy, is divided into 100 cantos, one for the introduction, 33 cantos for the Inferno, 33 cantos for Purgatorio, and 33 cantos for Paradiso. So, again, encoded in alchemical text, definitely encoded with some hidden meaning or something occulted. This leads us to Latitude 33, Key to the Kingdom an investigation into arcane science and engineering at the world's most famous theme park. Was there an interdimensional portal that influenced psychic perception of visitors and allowed beings to enter across time and space? This book reveals surprising evidence that something otherworldly was built into the magic kingdom inspired by the author's personal experiences. That's Walter Bosley. Whenever you mention portals to me, really gets my nipples hard. So anything that has to do with portals or anything of the occult like that just really piques my interest. And of course, I wanted to talk about originally about Disney and portals because there was this video that was going viral, I guess, about some guy talking about the underground tunnels and portals at Disney. There are definitely 100% underground tunnels under Disney. That, that is true. Now, they have access to portals. I do believe that they are tapping into something 
in that land. For example, the Orlando Disney World, the most magical place on Earth. It's on latitude 28. And according to, this is from Michael Hoffman and James Shelby Downard, the 28th degree of Templarism is the king of the sun degree. The president and the first lady arrived in Air Force One, co-named Angel. He's going on, and this is King Kill 33. But the 28th degree of Templarism and in Freemasonry is the knight of the sun. He said king of the sun. But that would make a lot of sense that Walt Disney's Freemasonic brother would build it on the 28th. Because the 28th also symbolizes right, the king of the sun or the, the knight of the sun. Well, what is Florida? It's the sunshine state. It was the last frontier. There was all the Henrys here. You also have the, that Atlantis connection there as well. It's done by design, most definitely. And it's got a deeper occulted meaning. Disneyland the happiest place on earth. The concept for Disneyland began when Walt Disney was visiting Griffith Park in Los Angeles while watching them ride in the merry-go-round. His kids, he came up with the idea of a place where adults and their children could go and have fun together, though his dream lay dormant for many years. It was also referred to as Mickey Mouse Park. Mickey Mouse, again, is very powerful. Back to the power of letters, well, M is the 13th letter in the alphabet. Mary Magdalene, M-G-M. You have the G in the middle there. Again, it's another form of word magic. Kabbalah, abracadabra. It's a sort of amulet. And I mean, what a more powerful amulet than Mickey Mouse. It's at the forefront of everything. And of course, this carousel was built right at this conjunction. These nodes that meet up and Walter Balsley talks about it. What if it was some sort of device used to spin up the energy and project it outwards? And one of the interesting parts about Disney was that a lot of the machines that they used there were actually built for a world's fair. Now, if you're part of the tar Tartarian crowd, think, imagine Disneyland as the eternal world's fair this never-ending world's fair because these companies all paid for these machines to go at this world fair to show them off and then disney came and he transplanted them into all his parks or the the park the first park so think about that that would essentially make that the never-ending world's fair for the tartarian crowd out there and this is from the book. There was no doubt from the beginning that Walt Disney would have a carousel as a part of the centerpiece of his park. The King Arthur carousel could be as much as a symbol of fantasy land as the castle. But is it possible that this simple pleasure ride could have been a rotary key for a fantastic machine? What happens when you place a spinning device atop the intersection of world grid telluric energy lines? That may have been the question C.V. Wood asked himself when considering placement of King Arthur's carousel. Though we don't know for certain, however, we can ask that question ourselves and searching for the answer, 
we find three others who may have pondered similar, if not the same, issues and discovered some things pertinent to our investigation. And check the book out. It's very great. Let's recap. You have geography having an effect on your psyche, on your biology. You have the power of language. You have the power of these lines and these grids along the world. Now, if you take all that into consideration, you name something, something powerful along a powerful place at a powerful time or do a certain ritual at a certain time along a powerful place, a powerful line, et cetera, et cetera. And you have the recipe for success from an occult, esoteric, magical standpoint, if you will, if you follow. Now, take architecture into consideration when doing this and the architecture becomes a talisman. Think about the, the castle at Disney. If that's not a symbol that you would recognize, just like the golden arches of McDonald's and getting back with that M symbolism, McDonald's, it's very, very pertinent. It pertains to what we're talking about. It's, very powerful magic that these elites use when it comes to all this. So thought forms are another aspect of this. And shout out to Ben from Waking Up With Analog. We recently did an episode that you can check it out, episode 138, where we touched on the topic of thought forms and topas, egregores, and... This obviously pertains to the homunculus, which you all know that I'm not obsessed with. It. it just keeps popping up in my research and I keep bringing it up. So, but thought forms is another thing that I believe is being powered by these places and cathedrals were used back then, not only as, as beautiful pieces of art, but they also had a more esoteric and occulted meaning. Falconelli gets into this and how a lot of these cathedrals had the, the formula and the steps in order to make the Philosopher's Stone. Had the ingredients for it. Hidden in plain sight for those who could decipher it. It was for the taking, if you will. Color and sound had become commingled. Forms created by music, strictly speaking, are not thought forms, but nevertheless... They do not arise without the thought of the composer. Later, Ledbetter explained that mental, astral, and etheric structures are built up by the influence of sound, and that forms created by the performers of the music must not be confounded with the magnificent thought form which the composer himself made as the expression of his own music in the higher world. So, this is what's referred to as the occulted scaffolding in Pythagorean palaces. The architect as magician. You have here the composer as magician. The cartographer as magician. So you don't know what these cartographers, their intention was in order for what they were building these things for. You have to take that into consideration. Because these buildings were talismans and they were they quite literally came to life. They were their pets, if you will. They were the demiurges of these places. If you extrapolate that again back to the idea that this world grid was made by magicians in order for some sort of magical operation, for those that know that, build these places on these lines 
That's why I believe the Knights Templar, the Knights Templar knew about this. And that's why they built, they funded a lot of these cathedrals, majority of them. This is the, the, one of the aspects of Tartaria that I like, that a lot of people really skim over and they focus on the, they focus a lot on the architecture, like, wow, it's crazy. But think about it on a much deeper level. What were they used for? Was it used for, again, warping the perception of people real time? There's a reason why they want to make these 15-minute cities part of the Pythagorean palaces. When you have the micro, you're able to affect the macro. So think about it. If they put you in a 15-minute city and they're able to make a model of that 15-minute city, they're able to tap into the energies at the real location by using the model of that city, rather that be a 3D model made somewhere in some computer, some AI that was made on what? The Cartesian coordinate system, because it's at the core of all this. So just keep that in mind. It's, again, what they use for remote viewing and all these other things. So they're quite literally warping your reality real time. Some of the uses of these lines involves egregores, thought forms, topos, etc. These are manifestations of the collective consciousness now these egregores can be powered through the energies that are mined through these ley lines initiation and egregores through initiation a canal is created that binds the priest with the specific egregore the egregores wither when there are no more people to support it and when people are no longer feeding it with their devotional energy the longevity of egregores is dependent on the secret societies that keep on feeding the egregore for sustenance and keep on strengthening its powers. The priests withdraw the devotional energy from the devotees through various rituals. So we have this idea that all these monuments, all these churches, all these places, they're placed along these nodes and adepts can tap into the energy that is mined and embedded in these ley lines. The egregore then gains strength and gives back to the people the energies of bliss called God's blessing to the surroundings through the priest as mediators. If the adept has finished his or her task, he passes over to another plane. The adept then dies and supports his or her egregore on the astral plane. So that it gains strength. It is possible to establish a permanent connection to powerful evolutionary egregores. These can direct the initiate through the stages and changes and can set him free from the binding to egotism. This is some pretty deep stuff when it comes to this initiation. involves secret societies. And it makes sense of, in God we trust, but which God are you talking about? Which God are you referring to? This is what the elites are using these lines for. Some elites are using these lines for, for this. Now, it's, I don't think it's an issue if you worship another God. I do believe that some of these people worship miscellaneous gods. And again, that's not a problem, but I, I believe this is part of the bigger picture, if you will. To help keep alive or power their God. 
And even if you don't believe in it, that's fine because now they have your energy that they're able to manipulate for another purpose. So keep that in mind when you have all of these rituals like the superb owl or the super bowl on the 33rd parallel and the connotations which we covered earlier what that means to them we have seshari here who talks about he says they use the ancient alignments that were already there all traditionalist people are dependent in their daily lives on knowledge of the ways in seasons of spirit, it is all about raising the level of the spirit in the country and keeping human institutions in harmony with it. Plato advised the settlers that they should first of all discover the local shrines of its spirits and institute there on the appropriate days. That's why back then they would take down these ancient religious sites and the church uh, of the pagans and the church would build their own sites on there. We know that is that that's true. There are Literally, if you look at the Bloomberg building, it's built on an old, old Mithraic temple. I don't think that was by accident. Allegedly, the site has its own magnetic field, hinting at perhaps that it could be some sort of portal to another dimension, if you will. Another use for these nodes of these intersecting ley lines or telluric currents, they're power spots, and they're used as astral doorways. Sacred power spots could have been used as an astral doorway or window that was used to astral travel and ascend beyond the lower astral realms. This could be a doorway or a path into higher spiritual realms when the deceased spirit wants to go beyond the lower astral realm. Shamans or adepts or any of this class that was looked upon as a magician or sorcerer back then, especially, they had access to these power spots. Only they could go in there because they were initiated. They were used for interdimensional travel. One of the skills one can gain through the study of sacred space is the ability to move at will and consciously to different levels of reality. By focusing intent, one can go from one dimension to another. Now, if that's physically or mentally or whichever way, I am not sure on that because <laughs> we can have the debate of Bigfoot or Dogman or any of these cryptids that they're interdimensional and they can transcend through portals out in these open areas such as our national parks. That's a whole other episode. But yes, Another use is interdimensional travel. Also, why perhaps there was labyrinths at these cathedrals. You would go there and walk around in a trans-like state at, in these labyrinths and go somewhere else. <laughs> is essentially the, the only way I could put it. The matrix of occult influences is created by a network of subtle energies harnessed by temples and other sacred buildings aligned to the stars. The temples are connected to each other through resonance of the occult, spiritual, mental, and astral plane related powers or energies. The method is taking energy from the spiritual reservoir of stored devotional energy of religious devotees via magical religious temple rituals. Now, 
back again to the idea that even if you don't believe in this, they do. So whenever you go to these places, they're connected in a sympathetic, magical way to another area. This is why the ancients built their cities similarly. That's why they built pyramids, because the pyramid is the one that is able to disperse energy the most efficiently. I've heard it put before that shape, the pyramid shape. The elites know about this and they're able to tap into this energy. If that is the Akashic records or not, that's a whole other thing. But I do, I do believe that there is a connection there. Ley lines or dragon lines and the platonic solids. The platonic solids have meaning in relation to the ley lines or dragon lines. The earth is seen electromagnetically, a dodecahedron of two intervening energy structures with positive and negative canals. The icosahedron forms the positive matrix and the octahedron forms the negative matrix. Now, this plays into the Ivan Sanderson's 12-mile vortices because when you connect them all, the 12 devil's triangles, the Bermuda Triangle being one of them, it forms an icosahedron which is, again, back linked back to sacred geometry and how that unlocks certain gateways, I believe, into other realms or for other energies to come through, whatever they are on the other side. So to recap, essentially, everything that I've said, the names, places, the way it affects people, this is all built into some sort of world grid if you will that they're tapping into and they're using for the manipulation of energy for the harvesting of energy in order to use that energy for their purposes temples and measurements the same measurements correspond to the same vibration this is a rule in eastern feng shui and western geomancy a measurement corresponds to a vibration a vibration corresponds with a certain measure a specific measure when a temple for example is dedicated to the moon goddess. The measurements used for the temple architecture incorporated various elements relating to the moon. These elements incorporated also astronomical data relating to the moons. Mirroring these other realities, these other celestial bodies as part of the ritual. So if you're able to, again, as above, so below type of thing. And I'm not saying it's that, but that's part, that's one of the hermetic principles. So... If you're able to figure it out in the micro, you're able to to affect it in the macro. So if you want to harness, again, that moon energy, create something that simulates or imitates that moon structure, whatever it may be. This is essentially what goes into creating a talisman of some sort in order to encapsulate the powers of either the celestial bodies, celestial alignments, and drawing them down in a theurgical way in order to influence your reality down on earth. Now, I want to sum it up with Seshari referencing his work once again, because he puts it very, very beautifully. And I think it's going to sum everything up. We've covered... A lot up until this point. And keep in mind also time is another important factor. Perhaps these portals aren't always open all year. They're only open when certain celestial alignments are going on. Certain times of the day 
etc etc but Seshari says an adept could tune in to the information and energy contained in the physically charged object a mage with highly developed psychic powers could read a talisman at a distance through the process that is now referred to as remote viewing such action at a distance could explain the importance of lays to kings and high priests throughout history it would also explain the continuing importance of lays today mind you why they want to put you in these 15-minute cities if they're able to make a model of this city you leave your mark on these buildings and an adept quote-unquote can tap into these energies and this information lays then would be tools in what freemasons call the great work i.e the development of humanity into a higher form of being the alchemical quest of the ages to transform the lead of ordinary human consciousness into the gold of super consciousness super being he goes on to say this two-pronged agenda of the alchemical quest appears to run throughout history as an ongoing secret magical war between the forces of light and dark, good and evil. Out of this conflict emerges what we call history. Remember what I said about the force earlier. They put all these ideas in these movies, these cinemagicians. They're very hard at work with implementing these ideas in your subconscious. To the materialist, these ideas will seem absurd, but we should ask if psychic charging is patently false, why has it been practiced with mathematical precision for thousands of years? Could there be a reality to this magic? I've talked about memory palaces or memory theaters. Ancestry goes on to say memory theaters are not confined to buildings and specific sites, but are spread out over the surface of the earth along the lays i.e. the alignments of megaliths that are storehouses of psychic and vital energy. And this is really the last piece of the puzzle here. Where if you think the world is a stage, well, there's a reason why it's a stage. And we all play our part in it. Over time, the comings and goings of the masses of humanity through the memory theaters intensify the energy of the lays. People psychically charge lays by traveling along them and looking at the structures sited upon them. Monuments, ancient and modern, were always built specifically as tourist attractions or pilgrimage destinations when the traveler was consciously aware of the spiritual aspect of the journey. Pilgrims, routes, scenic drives, history walks, etc. have always been designed as memory theaters and are meant to direct the traveler through an alchemical process of transformation and psychic charging. That's more eloquently than I could ever sum it up. But he does a great job with that last paragraph that I read. It really hits the point of this entire presentation. He was also part of my inspiration for recording this episode as well so i leave you all with this make sure to always look into everything make sure to do your own research 
And as always, make sure to follow me on social media at the one one podcast, tjojp.com. And if you're listening to this on YouTube or wherever, leave a review, share with your friends. It helps the show grow and it helps get the message out there. I hope you enjoyed this. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.